My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome to another day as we continue our journey through the Word of God and we're continuing through the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19. And uh, we are going to be starting at verse 7 today and looking at the topic of divorce. And I know that that's a, uh, a difficult topic for many people. But this is in the context of the Pharisees trying to trap Jesus. So can somebody divorce his wife for just any reason, they ask him? And he says, you want to talk about divorce, I'm going to talk about marriage. And he goes on and in the beginning of chapter 19, talks about marriage. And then they said to him, after he talked about marriage, we get to verse 7. So they said to him, well, then why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her is divorced. Who is divorced commits adultery. Now, the Pharisees wrongly thought that God commanded divorce where there was uncleanness. In other words, if there was sexual immorality, remember uncleanness was the, the pivot point of uh, which side you know, people believed divorce was permissible under was the definition of uncleanness. Was it just sexual immorality or was it a whole lot of other things, whether your wife burnt your toast in the morning? Um, they thought that whichever definition of uncleanness, if there was uncleanness, you, you had to divorce. Jesus noted the difference between a command and something that was permitted. God never commands divorce, but he does permit it, and that's really important. The Pharisees thought that Moses was creating and promoting divorce, but in fact what he was doing was controlling it, And but it was never God's plan. And he says, because of the hardness of your hearts, divorce is never commanded. It's permitted by God in certain circumstances, and God permits it because of the hardness of human hearts. It was as if Jesus said, here's the ideal and here is the allowance of God when human sinfulness and hardness of heart has made the ideal unobtainable. Uh, hardness of hearts. Sometimes the heart of the offending party is hard and they will not do what must be done to reconcile the relationship. Sometimes the heart of the offended party is hard and they refuse to reconcile and get past the offense even when there is repentance and there's, uh, I'm sorry, shouldn't have done it. Often the hardness of hearts can be on both sides. Now Jesus says, except for sexual immorality. So he says, okay, I know you want me to interpret the word uncleanness and I know you're trying to trap me with that. So I'm just going to tell you what it really means. He interpreted the meaning of the word uncleanness in the Mosaic law 
showing that it refers to sexual immorality, not just anything that might displease the husband. So divorce and the freedom to remarry without sin is only permitted in the case of sexual immorality. Now, the ancient Greek word for sexual immorality used here is the word porneia. It's a very broad word. It covers a wide span of sexual impropriety. And you can be guilty of porneia without actually having consummated an act of adultery. D.A. Carson, it must be admitted that the word porneia itself is very broad. Porneia covers the entire range of such sins and should not be restricted unless the context requires it. So to this permission for divorce, it's important to note that the Apostle Paul added the case of abandonment by an unbelieving spouse in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. So those two things, abandonment by an unbelieving spouse, sexual immorality, they, that's it as far as the biblical reasons for divorce or permission for divorce, I should say, but it's not a command. So you can see here that there's, there's nothing about being incompatible that is a, a grounds for divorce or not loving each other anymore or not being happy or even brutality, physical abuse is, is, is not a grounds for divorce. Is it a grounds for separation? Is it, is it a grounds for, for re- removing yourself from the pain of that physical abuse? Yes, absolutely. And, and, and getting to a safe place? Absolutely. Um, but the apostle Paul said that within those cases, celibacy within the marriage from then on in 1 Corinthians 7 is what is required. Not easy. No, don't nobody said it's easy, but it wasn't easy for Jesus to die on the cross. So, you know, again, we have to, we always have to keep a relevance here. And these words of Paul show that a Christian couple might actually split up for reasons that don't justify a biblical divorce. Uh, it could even be through a misguided sense of spirituality. Uh, it could be, you know, people like, oh, I'm just not happy. I hear that all the time. Well, I'm just not happy. People say, oh, you deserve to be happy. No, you don't. <laughs> we deserve death, remember, wages of sin of death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. But people want to talk about what we deserve. Um, Paul recognizes that there are certain circumstances where you have to depart a marriage but that doesn't mean that you have grounds for divorce in that marriage. And therefore, if you don't have grounds for divorce, you don't have grounds and rights to remarry. Uh, that's not easy. I understand that. I understand that. And I, and I understand that there could be conversations you're having and you think, well, that's not fair. Well, again, whenever we start to think about things that are fair, we must always think about Jesus. Was it fair that Jesus came from heaven and died on a cross for sins that he didn't commit? No, that's not fair. So there are some things that God asks to do that we might think, well, that's not fair. But ultimately, God has given us his word. David Guzik, these problems that are serious, 
yet falls short of the biblical permission for divorce, may justify a separation. But the partners are to, expected to honour their marriage vows even in their separation because as far as God is concerned, they are still married. Their marriage covenant has not been broken for what God considers to be biblical reasons. So Jesus says if, if they marry another, they then commit adultery if you divorce for, the, for not biblical reasons. So the reason why a person who does not have a legitimate divorce commits adultery upon remarrying is because they're not divorced in the eyes of God. Since their old marriage was never dissolved on biblical grounds, that marriage is still valid and they're now actually guilty of the, the sin of bigamy and adultery. Now, this teaching of Jesus shows us that marriage as a promise made to God, to our spouse, to the world, it's a binding promise. It can't be broken at our own discretion. If God doesn't recognize the promise being broken, then it is not broken. And we have to admit that this is a very hard teaching from Jesus. There are many reasons people give today to justify divorce that actually do not fulfill the two biblical allowances for divorce. And there are many situations where a marriage is separated or divorced for reasons that do not fulfill biblical allowance for divorce. But later, one or more of those spouses then goes on to give biblical allowance, often by marriage or a sexual relation with somebody else. So then now you do have biblical grounds to remarry and biblical grounds to divorce. I know it's complicated and I know it's not straightforward and I know it's difficult, but Jesus was trying to make it simple. We also remember that the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, As the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. In this context, one of Paul's ideas with this statement was a warning about trying to undo the past in regard to relationships. God tells us to repent of whatever sin there is and then to move on. If you are married to your second wife, after wrongfully divorcing your first wife, and then you become a Christian. Don't think that you now have to leave your second wife and go back to your first wife trying to undo the past. The Lord, As the Lord has called you, walk in that place right now. Let's move on to verse 10. His disciples said to him, If such is the case of the man with his wife, then it is better not to marry. But he said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. The disciples understood Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce very clearly. They got it. And they understood that it was not a commitment to be entered into lightly or quickly and considered that since marriage is so binding before God, then maybe it's better just not to marry at all. And Jesus recognized that celibacy is good for some, for the one who is able to accept it, which is Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 7. And those who were born eunuchs, the term eunuch was a used uh, a term used figuratively for those who voluntarily abstain from marriage. And Jesus gave three kinds of eunuchs. 
those who are born without the capacity for sex or marriage, those who are made by others without the capacity for sex or marriage, and those who choose to live without sex or marriage for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And Paul said that the one who is unmarried because of calling should be, 1 Corinthians 7, holy both in body and in spirit. Therefore, these eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake should come to peace with their celibacy, physically and spiritually. It should not be a constant torment to somebody. If somebody says, no, I've just been called to not be married and uh, not have sex for the kingdom of heaven's sake, and you're constantly tormented, then you probably haven't been set apart for that. Okay, let's move on to verse 13. Then the little children were brought to him, bringing little children to Jesus again, that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. (laughs) Ah, the disciples. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. Incredible to think about in the middle of Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce, parents bring their children to Jesus to be blessed. We we have to bring our children to Jesus. He wants to bless them. He wants to welcome them. Uh, R.T. France, it was a Jewish custom to bring a child to the elders on the evening of the Day of Atonement to bless him and pray for him. Jesus said, let the children come to me. Something really incredible about Jesus shown here is his character. He was the kind of man that children liked. Um, children are very astute judges of character. And uh, Jesus was loved by the little children. And he laid his hands on them. And he blessed these children. That's what he did. He laid hands on them and departed from there. Jesus laid hands on them. And then he moved on. So, what do we have to observe from this today? We can observe that Jesus didn't skirt around difficult topics, which we often want to do. It's a danger for Christianity right now to not want to answer questions that are difficult, that the Bible makes clear. But Jesus made it simple for us. But simple doesn't mean easy. Simple to understand doesn't always mean easy to carry out. And our observation is that a life for Christ is going to be one that involves sacrifice. It'll involve things that you think are unfair. It'll involve things that can seem to ruin your life. But Jesus came to give life. Jesus said, I am the way, the life. I'm the truth, he said. Jesus wants to give you eternal life. So let's always have our mind on the eternal purposes of God and the fact that we get to spend eternity with God. And there might be some things on this planet and our time here that are not ideal in our eyes. But ultimately, it's the things of eternity that we must keep our eyes upon. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Let it permeate into us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. 
For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day. Thank you.